0: The following is our extended conversation with Dr. Raj Shaw, which includes more of a discussion about people's gifts and how sharing them might relate to being vulnerable in the classroom. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Dr. Raj Shah has a Ph.D. in physics. After working nine years at Intel, Dr. Shah left to pursue his passion of introducing kids to the joy of mathematics. Since then, he founded Math Plus Academy, co-founded the Global Math Project, and contributed to the Reveal Math curriculum. Welcome! We are so excited today to have Dr. Raj Shah with us. I know from our interactions, Raj, on social media that you're familiar dare i say a fan of the show our theme for this episode is vulnerability so what are some examples of vulnerability that stand out for you from the show
1: first of all i i i've been going around telling everyone that it is the greatest show ever and uh i stand by that i just finished watching it again i watched the first season 3 times and the second season twice i feel like there's vulnerability in every single episode, which is maybe the reason I love it so much. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like standout scenes, there's a couple. I think the end of season one where uh, Rebecca has to confess to Ted Lasso that she's been sabotaging the team for the entire season. And you can see her go through the process of like knowing she's done something wrong, coming to terms with her herself. But then really trying to avoid the last step, which is to actually tell him to put herself out there and say, yes, I did all this crummy stuff to you, right? And yeah. then finally, at the end, towards the end of the episode, she gets up the gumption to do it. She goes into his office and she lets it all out. And I kind of love his, re- I mean, obviously I love his response as well, right? You can see on his face like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. And then very quickly he switches to, I forgive you, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's vulnerability or if that's just freaking forgiveness or what, but wow. And I know that in real life, you know, it's a TV show, right? So this isn't going to happen like that in real life. But the amount of power or strength that you have to have in that moment to say, I forgive you, like, I don't know. I just love that scene. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's probably my probably my favorite one.
0: Yeah, that is a powerful one. And, and I yeah. agree. I, I have to keep reminding myself that it's not real life. And yet it there's an extent to it where it feels like it could be,
1: couldn't it? It's it's an idealized version of real life. Like right. if that happened to us, we might get to forgiveness, probably not in 10 seconds like Ted Lasso. But to know that that's an ideal that's out there, that's what makes the, the show so powerful.
0: So one of the things that we like to do is think about, so what if we were in Ted Lasso's shoes or what if we were at least in Ted Lasso's universe? And one of the things that he does fairly er early in the show, he gives Mm. all of his players a book. And I have to say, I was thinking about this today because I was, uh, shopping for my grandkids, even gift giving is a vulnerability, right? It's like, to what extent? Are they going to like it? Is it going to be right size? How are they going to respond to it? Those sorts of things. So so anyways, our question to you is what book or books would you feel like would be a book that you'd want to share with educators?
1: It's so funny you bring this up because I just finished teaching a math methods class to 17 students. And at the end of the semester, I gave them all a book.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. And what's funny is I hadn't rewatched Ted Lasso. So I was like, man, what a clever idea. I'm going to give them all a book. I thought it was my own idea. Then I told my son, he's 20. He's a bit of a contrarian. He likes to make fun of me. He's like, dad, that's so lame. Like that's straight from that, that episode, right? And I was like, what? He gave everyone a book. And I went back and looked at it. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm just copying Ted Lasso. But anyway, I spent a lot of time thinking through like, Each student, what's the right book for them? You know, do they need to get now that I know of like a wrinkle in time? I don't know. But (laughs) the book I think that really has spoken to me the most lately uh, one of them is Building Thinking Classrooms, which probably a lot of people who listen to this are going to know about. So I'm going to go a little off script here and I'm going to go with Good Inside Mm. by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Have you heard of this book? No, I have not. It's a parenting book, so it's a parenting manual. It's a, I wish I, my kids are older, a little bit older now, but I wish I had it when, you know, from the beginning, it's mostly written. The examples, I guess, in the book are mostly about toddler to like teen age examples, but the premise of the book is every child, every human being, I guess, is good inside. Mm -hmm. And when they act in ways that we don't like, we don't approve of, break the rules, misbehave whatever word you want words you want to use for those things what's really happening is they're experiencing some emotion that they can't process and then that comes out as whatever the tantrum that i hate you you never let me do this whatever it is the kids say that can be it might be hurtful in the moment although if we're strong inside we realize that this isn't about me you know, to take it back to the, the example we just gave, right? Ted Lasso knows that Rebecca's not trying to hurt him. She's broken. And that's where all that comes from. So in a sense, this book is is all about that. And then it gets into like, how do we understand? How do we first absorb what's being fired at us and breathe through it? And then realize, okay, step one, this person is good inside. Step two, what emotion are they experiencing? Step three, how do I help them process that emotion? And she does a really nice job of explaining that you can do all of these things without, because a lot of times people say, well, that's kind of soft. You know, like we don't have rules, we don't have boundaries, nobody's going to learn anything. And she does a really nice job of saying, no, you can do two things at once. You can acknowledge the feelings and help them process that. And you can have strong boundaries. Yes, there are certain rules, you know, things you can't do. You can't curse in class. You can't hit people. You can't, right? We're going to still have those boundaries, but I'm going to also help you process your feelings. And to me, in the same way that, you know, I love be curious, not judgmental. I think that is a mantra for everyone in every aspect of their life. I think good inside is also for everyone in every aspect of your life. It's not just parenting. It's for teachers. It's classroom management, right? Or even how you deal with your administration, mm. you know, they're not treating me right. Well, why aren't they treating you right? What's going on with them? You know, like just to take that step back and realize that deep down, everybody's good inside.
0: I love that Raj. Thank you. I'm going to obviously put that on my, uh, my list of books to read, but also think about my, um, my kids and grandkids and and think about, I've got some more gifts I'm, I might be able to to, mm-hmm. to get uh, get yeah. taken care of. It also reminds me I had a uh, a friend and colleague His name was Fritz Briscoe, and he used to talk about that students would rather be seen as lazy or bad than dumb. Right, Ooh. and the way that they would act out in class—it makes yeah. me think about that. Right, in terms of being able to understand when kids are acting out or when kids are are—and a lot of times we think that when they're not participating, they're acting out. Right, that there might be something else going on.
1: I love that. they're protecting themselves, yeah, from those bad feelings about themselves that they can't handle, right. and it's easier to just not participate. Yeah, and and if we're being honest, we all do that in different. Parts of our lives, right? Yeah. There are things that we avoid because they feel bad.
0: So speaking of things we all avoid, you Uh and I were talking before this, and uh, I would encourage our listeners to go to your website, Dr. Raj Shaw. You have all sorts of media appearances, podcasts, things like that, a TED Talk, where you talk about gamification, where you talk about, like you said, getting kids to be curious, productive struggle. But today, we're going to get try to go into a little bit of uncharted territory maybe so what do you think it means to be vulnerable in teaching and learning
1: for me it's sharing your authentic feelings about any given situation and that doesn't mean you have to be sharing all the time right. but as an educator i think about you know talking about my mistakes talking about my my life path even What are the things that went well? What are the things that didn't go well? And not again, not all the time, but when it seems appropriate to a particular conversation that we're having, I just started teaching or I just finished teaching my first math methods class to 17 pre-service teachers. And I know, well, we all know that the students that I had in my class being in their 20s are dealing with a lot of like anxiety, stress, Depression, all these other things, and we definitely know that this is sort of whether it's caused by social media or the world around us or whatever. There's a lot of this going on with with kids of all ages, and you know, sometimes I just go in and say, you know what, I had a bad week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A bad week. I don't need to tell you every detail about why I had a bad week, but I just want you to know that I try to put on a good show when I'm here because I want to give you everything I have, but. Deep down, there's stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's being vulnerable. That's letting that, and that give, the beauty or the power of it is, I think in this case, in a teaching and learning setting is you're giving them permission to feel those things too. Mm-hmm. And not to judge themselves for those feelings. Like it's okay. It's okay to come to class, not hundred percent. It's okay to come to class, Stressed about some other thing that happened in your life. And from time to time we can acknowledge and talk about it.
0: I'm really appreciative that you you situated it in your your experience and what you're thinking about. So you were talking about that you've been sharing this with these 17 pre-service teachers. Mm-hmm. How did that go in the classroom then? What what did you notice as you as a result of you being authentic?
1: I will say this. It was very scary for me to put that stuff out there and a younger me definitely would have like stayed away from that. My job is to teach them how to teach math. That's it. Come in, do my job, walk out. But this semester, I don't know. I, I just, I saw them more as like individual human beings and I tried to really get to know them. I think being vulnerable also helps you build your community. Mm. The thing that I probably learned the most this semester from them is the power of community and the way we built it was talking about things. And it didn't have to always be talking about math, you know. We spent a few minutes every day just having a conversation. If you could have any superpower, what would it be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, first concert, best concert. But what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to connect, right? And when you share those things, you may end up sharing some vulnerable piece of, of yourself or your experience or your feelings, right, in that process. I really feel like that made all the difference. Now, if we take it like, that's a little bit different because they're a little older. So we take it in the K-12 realm for, realm for me and we, we, we situate it more in the math. I think just being really, we are, we're always talking about productive struggle. We're talking about making mistakes. It should be okay to make mistakes. It should feel safe. One of the ways you make it feel safe is you make mistakes. You talk about your mistakes, right? And you make it normal.
0: I'm reminded in a, an earlier podcast that you did, you talked about observing teachers, you know, watching them be teaching them in what might be considered a more traditional approach. Mm-hmm. And you recognizing that it could be difficult for them to make transitions, right? Because it, it can be risky to turn over the classroom to students when they don't know how they might react. And you, you you were talking about the same thing now that you did, right? You took a risk. So how do we help teachers to go from, you know, being concerned about how something, how a lesson is going to turn out to be able to taking a risk and giving it a go? Because you work in classrooms, you work with teachers. How do you help them to to sort of navigate that, that uncharted territory?
1: It seems like such a simple answer, but you have to model it. You have to show them, what it what it's like every time i give a presentation or do pd i always share my struggles my whole this you you mentioned you know my thing about video games and what what teachers can learn from video games which is what most people when they when they hear my name that's probably what they think about but that all that all came from sitting in front of a room of students who most people would call gifted i don't like that word so i try not to use it and giving them a rich task and they didn't do anything. They didn't engage in it at all. And then before I knew it, I had done the whole problem for them. And I was like, look, look, look how cool this problem is. You know, like, uh, look at my performance. Uh, And I I went home and I was like, you, they didn't learn anything. Why didn't they learn anything? Mm -hmm. And then that's, that's what set me on the path of like learning about video games and what we can learn from them whatnot. But I always share that story because out of that, failure, right, comes something, right? If you decide to keep going, then you're going to learn something. And that's where it, so I think you just, you, you have to show people what it looks like. And I do, I do a lot of, I do a lot of activities when I do PD with teachers, right? We do a lot of math problems. Okay. And at the end of it, we talk about what did, what did Raj do well in leading this task? And what did he do? Yeah, not so well. Mm -hmm. And, hit me with it, man. Just the more things you tell me I did wrong, the better I'm going to get. And if you're just like, Oh, that was great. Then I don't learn anything. You're doing me a disservice.
0: That's a great reminder. And that's a great piece to think about. You know, even if if teachers were to take away that, you know, taking a moment to ask students for some honest feedback at the end of any lesson that we can lead from. The word failure reminds me, Ella Benner, who is a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast, talks about failure as being first attempt in learning unless mm-hmm. reflection exists. And so there's that need to, after we do anything, to take some time to, to look back. And like you said, what, what worked and what needs work you know, those, that's kind of the way that we
1: mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm.
0: reframe the this idea. So it's not necessarily bad, it just needs work.
1: As I think about this, this, this idea more and more, I think you had Dr. Amanda Jansen on, yeah. on a previous podcast, rough draft thinking, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's another, in a way, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, Let's let's normalize the idea that in math, you don't have to start off with the perfect answer, even though everything you see in the books and the videos or whatever, everyone has their beautiful, elegant, step by step, right? Proof or explanation or whatever, like we're not you shouldn't be expected to produce that the first time. And then when you produce something that isn't, quote unquote, perfect at first, and you share it with the world, doesn't that an act of vulnerability? Mm -hmm. You're putting yourself out there. So, I think maybe the other, sorry. I, I just no, go ahead. No, That's yeah. another uh, brainstorm thing is like maybe helping people see that they can be vulnerable in other places. And if vulnerability is just putting it out there for the world to see and being okay with the judgment that comes back or whatever feedback it is that comes back, people probably do that in many places in their life. And then in a professional capacity where the stakes are much higher and you're being, graded by your test scores and all this other stuff, you may feel like you don't have the permission mm-hmm. to do those things.
0: That would be an interesting activity, right? To ask teachers, learners, whoever, what's, where's the time or what's the time that you've been vulnerable? What I want to know why. I want to know how mm-hmm. and what was the result, because mm-hmm. I'd like to know more about Renee Brown talks about how, she, you know, her job is teaching about vulnerability. And yet mm-hmm. whenever people, you know, ask her to come speak, like in Silicon Valley, for instance, they're like, we'd love you to talk. Just don't talk about vulnerability. Right. It's, she's like, well, what do you think I do? Have you seen the TED talk?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so yeah, that would be an interesting activity to ask. I mean, I do that all the time in my pre-service Teacher course as I ask them about something that they've learned recently that wasn't math. Why? Right? What? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. did they do? How? You know? How did they engage? What was their engagement like to be able to you know learn how to program their TV or to you know learn how to ski or whatever the whatever it is? What is it they, they did, and how is it different from what we normally do in um, in math class?
1: Yeah, I mean those examples. All these, all these connections are so important, right? Because we have all our preconceived notions about what math is, what math class is, how it's supposed to be based on how we experienced it and how it was taught to us and all that. Yeah. As I think about this too, I have a third, a third thought, a third idea, I guess. One thing I've started doing is putting my values up front. So first day of class, first day of PD, First slide in the workshop, these are my values. And value number one is be curious, not judgmental. You really needed me on that podcast, but that's okay, <laughs> okay. I'm okay with it, really, I am. Uh, and my second one is vulnerability is strength. These have only recently become my values, I'm not gonna lie, but because I'm you know always learning, uh, I've learned that these things are really, really important. And they probably dovetail together actually uh, a thing that we crafted in our class the the methods class this semester was cuz i showed them be curious not judgmental you can't not show them the dart scene mm-hmm. and we started saying our class is a no judgment zone and in one of our in one of our little welcome questions that we started in our community building and being class it was like what's a skill that you wish you were better at or whatever and a bunch of them said public speaking oh wow and i was a little shocked i was like y'all are going to be teachers like aren't you already sort of comfortable being at the being at the front and you know doing a decent amount of the speaking and they're like no we're like super nervous about public speaking so we started doing uh impromptu speaking at the end of every class and before i did it the first time i said listen i know this is going to be hard you're probably some of you're going to be like terrified this is a no judgment zone do what you need to do nobody's going to judge you and then we just started using that phrase throughout the whole class and i think no judgment zone goes so well with vulnerability right Mm -hmm. why we don't want to be vulnerable vulnerable we're afraid to be judged we don't feel like we're strong enough to take the judgment and absorb it in a way that isn't painful right to ourselves so if you can craft both of these things at the same time they kind of fit
0: that is great i think That's certainly something over this break I'm going to consider is this idea of my values, putting those values up front. I think I try to in terms of my one of my big ones is, like you said, curiosity. The other is collaboration, I believe. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that connects with what you were saying with community. I was part of a task force that wrote essential math practices for, for early elementary here in, in Michigan. And one of the things that we did intentionally was put our values right up front. I love that you're doing that. And I think that that's a reasonable one. As far as the other thing, we would have loved to have you on earlier. One of the things my colleague and co-host John Golden has said is that all of these things just fit together anyway. They do. So it's like, we're, we're focusing on a theme, but they, they mm-hmm. also do fit together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the other isn't
1: that isn't that another thing that makes the show brilliant right
0: so you did this viral video why math is taught differently again i would encourage our audience to to go watch that you work with parents a lot right so how are you navigating that aspect of vulnerable helping them to be vulnerable as well taking some risks about thinking about mathematics differently
1: wow i wasn't expecting this question okay let me think about it (laughs) Uh well, when I think about that video, I thought nine people were gonna watch it. So it was kind of shocking to see, like, just catch on and like I guess this is how the internet works these days. Yeah. Uh but and and I guess maybe I'll start with this. Where did that video come from? It came literally from a parent who walked into our center and was like, My son is learning this crazy math. You know, explain it to me. And she's like, I just don't get it. And I explained it to her, and I was like, you know, it's you know, it, it was two digit multiplication, and they were learning partial products. And you know, the, the the parent was like, "Why aren't they just learning the standard algorithm?" And I showed it to her. And then at the, the funniest thing was at the end of it, she said, "Oh, well, that kind of makes sense." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know." You know, carrying the one up there, or the three or the seven or whatever, then crossing up, carrying another thing up there it doesn't actually make a lot of sense. I mean, kind of does, but it's it's just shorthand. And then, and then this is the best part. She goes, you know what? Actually, my son kind of likes the new way better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that fascinating that deep down she knew in a way that it was making sense, at least to her child, but she couldn't handle the the uh, the, the cognitive dissonance or whatever of like, why well, it's different than the way I learned it. And where does that fear come from? I think m- almost all of it comes from if they learn it differently than I did, I can't help them. Mm-hmm. As a parent, maybe I will get this all the way back to vulnerability. As a parent, what a terrible feeling to feel like you can't help your child, right? Isn't that what we? Isn't that what we do as parents? We help, we've literally committed our 20 years of our life, or the rest of our life, to helping our children, right? And so I think that's where all of that. All is a strong word. Where a lot of the, why is it like this? I don't get it. What is is from like I don't I. I can't help them maybe the next step is like having them realize like that's okay it's okay let's acknowledge that you can't help them because you you can right but you may have to do a little bit of work not you know that could be talking to the teacher that could be searching some youtube videos or whatever it is you may have to do a little bit of work but it all makes sense i promise you it all makes sense and then letting your kid know i think the best way to help your child actually is to not know the math sometimes because what we you think about what we're trying to do, a lot of us is we're trying to help teachers be less helpful to use Dan Meyer's phrase, but to to tell less and ask more. And what is a parent like? Most parents are going to be in that telling mode. They're not educators, right? So they're going to want to well, you know, you got to do this, and then you carry the one, and then you bring it over here, and then you, okay. That may get your child through that particular moment, but it probably isn't going to help them learn anything conceptual that's going to help them in the long run. So I try to comfort them like it's actually a good thing that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Why don't you guys go learn it together?
0: Yeah, that's nice. I think in one of your media interviews, you talked about having it goes back to your be curious. Have the parents be curious. Have the have the kids teach you. Have the kids share with mm-hmm. you what they know. But I like that idea of it sort of levels the playing field, right? Let's do this together. You really want to build and be connected with your kid, with your mm-hmm. with, with your child. Mm-hmm. Learn it together.
1: And uh, what are you doing? You're modeling for them that it's okay not to know. It's okay to make mistakes, and we'll figure it out together. Is I mean that's. That's really what you should come out of your education with that. Right. Right. That I am capable of learning anything if I want to. And I'm okay with the discomfort of not knowing for now.
0: So we've dealt with teachers. We've Mm. dealt with parents. What about kids? You've talked Mm. a little bit about, you know, that teachers need to model it. But what are some other ways that teachers might help kids to begin start taking a risk?
1: I think if you're using things like now I'm going to tie it back to Peter Liljedahl a little bit, right? If you're using the some of the methods from building his book, building thinking classrooms of visibly random groups and uh, vertical non-permanent surfaces, aka whiteboards, the beauty of some of these practices is they already naturally normalize the mistake making. Mm and the risk taking, and especially if you're using non-curricular tasks to start with, so you're not using something that has the fear of right and wrong answers that some kids can come to class with naturally based on their prior experiences. You can craft the experience so that these things kind of naturally happen. And then once they've naturally happened once or twice, then you can build on that. And then you can call them out. Remember when we did this thing and you took a risk and it was wrong? I mean, it wasn't really wrong, but it wasn't the final answer. That's okay. We're going to keep doing that. Now we're going to do it in the context of mathematics.
0: And what's so interesting to me in that, Raj, my my wife... Uh, before she was the ed specialist, she was a first grade teacher. And I used to go into her classroom on a fairly regular basis. And I would walk away amazed that these kids thought they could do anything and they wanted to do it themselves, right, Mm. graders Mm. You know, I'd sometimes then go to the third grade classroom or the fifth grade classroom, and that wasn't the case anymore, right? It was like, I don't know how to do it. Show me. And... I was like, this gets taught out of them. And so when I work with my pre-service elementary teachers, many of them who have a a real negative experience, have had negative experiences and and engage in a lot of negative self-talk about Mm -hmm. when it comes to mathematics. Mm -hmm. I tell them that this course, if nothing else, is meant to find that first grader so that you can believe in yourself and that you wanna do it. Maybe not by yourself, right? Maybe you've got your colleagues here. I wanna encourage that. But, and I can't tell you the number of times where at the end of the semester, students will tell me this was like math therapy you know it's, and i'm like yeah yeah exactly i'm like oh, that's so great to hear thank you so much that that's exactly what we're trying to do and and some of that means being able to again be vulnerable be be willing to share your entire self not worry about again that language for me is not about mistakes but it's just you know it needs work
1: math therapy man i love that yeah yeah my students definitely we all felt like that at the end of our semester and you're making me remember the the second season scene between Dr. Fieldstone and Ted where he won't open up and she finally realizes that well she gets told but she has to be vulnerable first even as the therapist to be vulnerable first and set the example and then that's what opens or unlocks Ted. And the other thing I love about that phrase math therapy is so much of teaching mathematics is helping the student develop the student's identity as a mathematical thinker, mathematician, whatever, whatever term you, you know, means is meaningful for you. Yeah. And unwinding then so much of the, what many students are coming to you with, with all the baggage of the past experiences and the wrong answers and the bad grades and being told you can't do this and you're not a math person or thinking for yourself that you're not a math person. And so yeah, man, most of our job is therapy. So little of the job is content.
0: Well, like you said, you're hoping that they're developing the content on their own, right? The content is
1: a vehicle. The content is not the whatever. I don't know. It's if not I was better de- with words, I wouldn't know which words to stick in there. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's not the destination, right? Right? Yeah, yeah, it is the vehicle to do the exploring.
1: You also said something earlier, which I think is important to maybe just amplify, which is and kind of goes along with good inside like when we're really young, we are naturally curious we are not afraid to make mistakes we you know when you learn to walk you fall down a million times before you can actually walk right you just keep going you don't you're not in your own head going I'll never learn how to walk I'll, I'm just not a ma- I'm not a walking person then get the walking gene you know like yeah those thoughts don't even exist in that in that little mind and then as we grow up, and we integrate into society and we fit into all these systems and whatever else, all these like weird scripts and things that are not helpful to us end up inside of our minds.
0: You've shared so much with us, given us so much to think. Is there anything else you'd like to, to make sure that we look into or are
1: aware of? No, not really. I mean, you mentioned, I mean, from a I guess, personal perspective, you mentioned my website or whatever, that's fine. If people want to research more, I I, I maybe if I had a parting thought, it it would just be along these lines of the thing that has become very, very clear to me is every human being has gifts. Some of those gifts are easy for us to see. You know, some some students walk into class and you just know oh they're really outgoing and they're funny or whatever and it's obvious what some of their gifts are. And other people's gifts are like they're on the inside. You don't see them. Maybe it's like perseverance or, you know, whatever it is. And in that math therapy, I think my biggest job is to help you find what your gifts are and help you amplify them in the context of the, of, of, in this case, in the context of mathematics. But I'm more interested in how you make that happen for yourself everywhere. Right. And like, like we said, math is just a vehicle. So when we look at students, it's easy to look at them and say, oh, this one's lazy. This one doesn't want to work hard. This one acts up in class. Uh, Well, they're all, they're all, they're all beautiful, gifted human beings. And wouldn't it be great if we just spent a lot of time figuring out what those things were mm-hmm. and then helping them use them in our context?
0: I'm thinking again, coming full circle, this whole idea to use that word gift. And we started out talking about how sharing our gifts can be vulnerable, right? And I think I see that in our classes as well. I mean, we've got some some students who have something to share. These, And I loved how you began all of this by talking about uh, vulnerability is being able to share your authentic self, sharing those gifts. Sometimes it's not about sharing your mistakes. Sometimes it's about mm-hmm. sharing your creativities, mm-hmm. sharing your alternative way of thinking about something. And but too often we're afraid of how those gifts are going to be received. So I, I so appreciate that you bringing that full circle. Appreciate you. Appreciate all that you've done for um, our community and look forward to uh, continuing these conversations and i really do appreciate you. your your willingness to explore some uncharted territory and and yeah this was great
1: you know it's, every time you do something new you learn something you you taught me a lot and thank you i appreciate it